Uh, we have um, Soren Ambrose, and he represents civil society. He's with the Action Aid International, but also you have been an activist yourself and leading some of the protests against IMF and World Bank. So it will be very important to listen to his perspective. Uh, thanks, Amar. I assure you I won't uh, give up any time on account of, <laughs> on account of uh, any extra remarks you may have made. Um, once again, I'm Soren Ambrose from Action Aid International, and I have the rather gargantuan task of trying to represent civil society, um, and uh, coupled with the fact that I know a lot of civil society people are in the audience, so I had better do it well, um, or else you can supplement what I say. I, I like that route better. Um, Amar spoke about how uh, it was going to be difficult for him to represent 24 finance ministers. So uh, I just want to re uh, reflect for a moment on the breadth and diversity of uh, the civil society movements that have been uh, working on development finance issues on the World Bank, the IMF, and uh, trade issues over the last uh, 20 or so years. Um, Obviously, we have uh, civil society groups in the North and the South. They don't always have the same perspectives. There's uh, always productive tensions among them. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm from the North, but resident in the South, so maybe I bridge some of that. I don't know. Um, we have uh, the people who uh, have become identified with uh, the protests uh, in the streets in Washington and elsewhere, anarchists, students, and uh, environmentalists staging uh, elaborate uh, displays and uh, lockdowns of streets. And then we have policy wonks like a lot of the people in this room. Um, I think there is a lot of common ground, but uh, we don't all always speak quite the same language. Um, and of course, there are other categories in between, labor activists, religious activists, and so on. Um, the bias I'll bring to this is the, the subjects I'll discuss in terms of uh, civil society perspective on, uh, on um, reform of the financial architecture come out of a series of discussions that have happened uh, through 2009 in a few different places, one being in Washington, D.C. at the time of the spring meetings of the World Bank and the IMF back in April, uh, another one being at the um, uh, Eurodata uh, annual or biannual meeting or whatever it is, uh, Gale's organization, this was held in Barcelona over the, uh, in July. And uh, then the recent meetings that occurred in Istanbul uh, where we had a tremendous number of civil society groups from around the world uh, meeting. So uh, what I'm going to try to represent in a couple minutes are some of the uh, issues that they are working on, and I include myself in that group, uh, in terms of reform of of global financial architecture. Um, I also want to keep in mind there are a variety of approaches even among the, the more wonky civil society groups. Some are, are satisfied to work towards uh, piecemeal reforms. Uh, some are uh, more obsessed with trying to uh, affect radical change. Um, I think that it's probably fair to say that the title that was chosen for last night's uh, panel rec represents the aspirations of a lot of our groups, and that was uh, working towards transformative and systemic change and recognizing uh, that this uh, financial crisis may be uh, a unique opportunity to get there, and are we getting there? Is civil society doing its part? Well, 
maybe, maybe not. Let me say that civil society in its diversity and in its, its weaknesses and its strengths has always been better at saying no uh, to things than at saying yes. And I guess this is probably universal. It's easier to agree on what we don't like than to agree on how we want to move forward. Uh, but just to cite some of the kinds of things that civil society groups that work on these issues generally cite as their successes. Um, a lot of World Bank projects have been modified or uh, reduced or even stopped uh, because of civil society intervention, not just World Bank, but other uh, uh, multi-donor projects uh, like big dams and so on. Um, we can think back to uh, one of the first instances, at least in my memory, of effective uh, advocacy on uh, some of these uh, financial issues was uh, the uh, effort against the multilateral uh, agreement on investments back in, I believe, 96, 97. Uh, a lot of the energy for that actually came out of Canada, uh, and it was a pretty complete victory, actually. We haven't heard about the MAI or the MIA, whatever name it was happening to go under uh, since then. Uh, the Free Trade Area of the Americas, uh, which we don't hear much about anymore after Quebec and Miami and a few other uh, meetings. Uh, the World Trade Organization, uh, we've heard a little bit about different views of the Doha uh, round, but uh, one thing for sure, it, it, it hasn't moved uh, uh, from Cancun to Hong Kong to uh, more recent meetings. Uh, the combination of efforts on the part of civil society and developing countries, various formations within the developing countries have uh, at least succeeded in saying no to what's been on the table, if not yet devising uh, an alternative that uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of folks can feel comfortable saying yes to. Um, I think that uh, for those of us working on financial sector within the civil society, uh, a lot of us are not economists. A lot of us feel a little overwhelmed sometimes by the subject of the global economy. I imagine perhaps even those who are better prepared uh, from an academic standpoint sometimes feel overwhelmed. We've always talked in civil society about the need to come up with alternatives, and we really have to have that meeting where we all decide what the global economy should look like and what kinds of institutions we want, and we never seem to quite get there. I know that I've been assigned to many alternatives working groups. I organized a conference on alternatives to the global economy, and we ended up with a lot of folks talking about local alternative currencies and things. It was hard to really get a global perspective. So there's a lot of work uh, that we haven't done that we need to do, but uh, I think in a moment I'll come to uh, some of the shortcuts that we may be able to take on that. What we have done, of course, is uh, articulated some of the principles that we uh, want to see in, uh, in the future world uh, where development finance is, uh, is reformed. And what we usually focus on are uh, democratization of the current institutions, the current arrangements, and sovereignty. Uh, sovereignty in the sense of trying to uh, restore decision-making power to uh, the governments of the developing countries, or even going further than that, uh, towards people's sovereignty, trying to remove, trying to move the decision-making as close to the ground as possible, as close to the affected people as possible. Um, I think that uh, as we've had a little success in this area, 
and as we've uh, gotten more sophisticated about the way we work with various developing countries, we've begun to see some of the uh, contradictions that crop up as we do this. There has been a kind of blithe assumption uh, on the part of a lot of us working in the North uh, that uh, the, uh, the South as a unit, if we can speak of it that way, uh, would generally agree with our positions about development and so on. And we have found that the South does not always speak with the same unified voice that you know, maybe three or four of us in the North are able to put together sometimes. Um, and uh, when we have been working with, with, now that I live in Africa and, and see how uh, things go in terms of lobbying African governments and so on, we find that uh, a lot of the finance ministers uh, that are now in office in Africa, a lot of their staff, uh, are people who were trained at the institutions that we've been protesting for a lot of years, the IMF and the World Bank. Um, and uh, a lot of them, if they weren't, uh, if they didn't work at those institutions, were trained in the same schools. So uh, in many cases, uh, we have found ourselves coming out of meetings with African finance ministries uh, saying that, you know, the IMF's work is, is done here um, because we are often handicapped. We also have to build up uh, the capacity of parliaments in southern countries and make them uh, places where democratic debate can, can happen and where that democratic debate can affect uh, the decisions that are made. So all of that said is my little preface. Let me list some of the issues uh, that uh, I think are, are being uh, uh, are gaining some momentum among civil society groups as we talk about uh, reform of the financial system. That includes domestic resource mobilization. This has been mentioned a few times today, but uh, we have seen in the last two to three years, particularly with the advent of the Tax Justice Network, which is now international, has an Africa um, office in Nairobi and uh, is going to have offices in Latin America and Asia soon as well. We've seen a lot more energy going into uh, the idea of trying to, as uh, Mr. Raymond Baker would say, trying to plug the leaks of what's already in the country and keeping it in there through reform of tax systems, through trying to uh, guard against uh, uh, wealth being stolen or illicitly taken out in other ways. Uh, so there's a lot of work being done on how to reform global agreements, but there's also work being done on how to deal uh, on a national basis with tax laws, making them fairer, but also making them apply to those with the money, meaning the multinationals in most cases, rather than leaning so heavily on um, uh, salary earners in, uh, in, in the middle, the very small middle class of those countries. Um, the shortcut I was referring to earlier, since we haven't really managed to devise our, our own set, set of uh, principles, or, well, excuse me, our own set of reforms that we'd like to see to the global uh, economy, uh, this shortcut that I have in mind is the Stiglitz Commission report that we've been hearing a fair amount about last night and today. Um, and I think that uh, this will, I hope, become kind of a landmark document for a lot of us working on uh, finance issues in civil society because it brings into one place a very coherent, lucid, and relatively easy to understand for a non-economist like myself. Uh, analysis of how this financial crisis happened, what could have prevented it, 
uh, and what steps can be taken now, both for immediate uh, steps to, uh, to palliate some of the problems in, in the developing world and, and to create a system that will uh, function better as we go further. So I would urge everyone who hasn't seen the Stiglitz Commission report, uh, it's just 140 pages, but it's actually pretty easy reading for that kind of report. Uh, to take a look at it, download it off the UN website. Uh, and I should mention that this, is, this report was fairly unique in the sense that we had civil society participation going into this. There, there was a forum for civil society to make its comments. Some of those are, uh, I think, visible in the outcome of, of what we saw. So it's, uh, it's not uh, something that was just handed down from on high. Um, some of the issues that the Stiglitz Commission report covers uh, you know, the International Bankruptcy Court is what they call their, uh, their ideas about a workout a debt workout mechanism. Um, regulatory reform, creating new agents, agencies, they, they call one of them the Financial Product Safety Commission, which is kind of a play on the U.S. government agency uh, with a similar name. Uh, the Global Economic uh, Coordination Council that we've heard about. All these ideas deserve a lot more discussion as we go forward, and I think they will get it because of the visibility the Stiglitz Commission has brought to it. Uh, let me highlight some of those that I think are the most promising uh, issues. One is special drawing rights. Um, uh, a few people have mentioned SDRs, and I know for those of you who don't know what SDRs are, it must get uh, uh, very dull, but maybe it's in that glossary that is in the uh, uh, in the uh, folder that we got when we registered. Um, so I won't try to describe them, but I will say that uh, there does seem to be some momentum now for uh, generating more SDR allocations, whether they be targeted or general. Targeted meaning uh, specifically to countries on the basis of need uh, or general uh, allocations to all the members of the IMF. And uh, there is a growing acceptance as reflected in the outcome document of the UN Conference on the Global Financial Crisis uh, in June uh, of the possibility of these SDRs being used for more than just reserve resources. They're important on that level, uh, but they can be used for development purposes as well. Um, and uh, I think, you know, with, with some prudence, developing countries could find SDRs to be a very valuable and uh, flexible tool uh, to use for their various needs. Um, so we need to keep the pressure on in terms of making those allocations happen. Um, we've already heard about governance uh, uh, at some length from Amar. Uh, I, I don't think civil society has yet picked up the issue he referred to in terms of doubling or further increasing the quotas, but I think that's one that we need to look at, um, uh, particularly with the G24 being as enthusiastic about it. I, I think there's a good chance that we will be too. I spoke earlier about the, uh, the double majority reform as one that uh, could be a key way of trying to uh, introduce some new views into the way the IMF is uh, making decisions. Um, the financial transaction tax, which has been mentioned a couple of times, has gained uh, very quickly uh, real momentum in the last month and a half or so. Um, and I think that this will be a, uh, an ongoing um, uh, concern for civil society, an ongoing campaign. There was, uh, in fact, I would say in, in Istanbul at the World Bank IMF meetings, this was the sexy topic among civil society groups in the corridors, even when we, it wasn't the, uh, the subject of whatever presentation was going on. It's what people were talking about on the, on the margins. 
Um, and I think you'll see a lot more action on that. So I encourage people to learn more uh, about this option for uh, a tax that would both uh, raise funds that could be put to good uses, what, and there are many contestants for what those good uses would be, straight development or uh, health financing for HIV AIDS or education uh, and so on. Uh, and would also act as a sort of break or deterrent, as Jomo was saying last night, on some of the uh, both domestic and cross-border transactions that have uh, contributed to volatility in the global economy. Um, finally, I want to say a few words about the global reserve system. Uh, this was, again, not an unfamiliar topic, but one that wasn't very familiar to us before the Stiglitz Commission uh, published its uh, kind of its highlights back in March or April. Um, it has now become part of the discussion. It's part of the discussion we've been having here in Ottawa, but it's happening in other places as well. And it's it's been remarkable that such a uh, a really big radical transformation that such as this would represent is becoming talked about in serious ways so quickly. And I think that's due to the Stiglitz Commission, it's due to the UN conference that happened. It's unclear how we are going to make this reform actually take place. Um, but it is clear that this reform is necessary and we've had some, uh, some very prominent voices who we otherwise wouldn't expect uh, to hear, including John Lipsky at the IMF, the number two, saying that there is a, uh, there is a clear case for uh, some kind of reform of the global reserve system, including a universal currency, which would probably be based on the SDRs. Um, and I just want to mention uh, some of the benefits of this global reserve system reform, since it's a fairly abstract concept. Um, I think we have to remember that uh, Amar uh, actually pointed to this, the excessive self-insurance that governments have taken to uh, the Chinese government with its trillion dollars of reserves and uh, very large reserves from many other Southeast Asian countries and, and uh, other developing countries around the world. Developing countries have all seen the wisdom of building up reserves as a result of previous crises. Uh, and uh, what that means, while it may be wise uh, for an individual country to build up reserves, on a global level it means that that money is basically more or less frozen. Uh, it's supporting the U.S. government if it's in dollars, but it's, it's frozen in terms of potential development resources. If we can come up with a reserve system that would allow countries uh, to, uh, to have uh, access to the resources they need, uh, at the same time as feeling relatively confident that they will not uh, go bust in the next uh, hint of a financial crisis, I think we would be making tremendous pr uh, progress in terms of uh, liberating the resources that we have at hand. It would also do a great deal to end a lot of the distortions in the global economy, uh, such as uh, developing countries basically supporting the U.S.'s uh, extraordinary um, uh, budget deficits. Um, and uh, having to work around uh, what the U.S. Uh, what the U.S. is uh, willing to consume in order to keep the uh, global economy working, and finally, uh, some of the proposals that have been made around uh, uh, reform of the global reserve system include ways uh, of uh, using uh, the universal currency, such as the SDRs, using the the reserve rules. Uh, to encourage uh, countries not to run either excessive surpluses or excessive de deficits. Um, it sounds 
uh, in some ways obvious when you read uh, what the Stiglitz Commission has to say about it and some of the other writers, including uh, uh, Mr. Ocampo, who spoke last night. And uh, I think it's, it's time for uh, civil society to be pushing for this kind of reform, making sure that it uh, stays on the agenda, for academics to be bringing it up in whatever context they can, and for people uh, working in governments who are sympathetic to the need for this reform. Uh, to make sure that it uh, assumes a, a place in, in the debate. Um, so I will end it there and say, uh, civil society, we still have a lot of work to do, uh, but uh, I think the agenda is clear and indeed the crisis has made a lot of new things possible. So we should go forward with some confidence and some hope. Thanks.